Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... So I had this young white guy on there, early 30s, and they were asking him, well, how, do, how does your generation, 20s, 30s, you know, uh, how, do, how does your generation see this? And uh, his answer was so interesting to me. He was Christian, and he said, he said my generation of Christians, I, I kind of liken us to like the show Friends. Like we're sitting around a coffee shop talking about reaching people and ministry and doing nothing about it and think we're doing it, right? <laughs> He said it, not me. We can be very selfish with our time. It's been said that the church spends more time talking about reaching people than it actually spends getting out there, as Pastor Jim shares in today's teaching. We can deceive ourselves into thinking that we are serving God, when in reality, we're only serving ourselves. If the church depends on programs and weekly services to define their Christian life, we'll miss out on the life that He has called us to live. Christians were never called to live a life of isolation. Now let's open our Bibles and join Pastor Jim for part two of his message entitled, Do I Really Need People? Many Christians, I fear, are empty because they avoid the very messy people that Jesus wants them to reach. Because we all know that once we start reaching or getting close to messy people, it's going to take our time, right? And are we very selfish with our time? Very, very selfish with our time. I was... uh, Recently watching this thing on the internet, really, it was good. It was, a, it, was a, it was a panel of people talking about race relations. And they were talking about stuff that's going on in Ferguson and Baltimore and, and stuff like that. And, and a very interesting thing. And so they had this young white guy on there. It's like the token white guy, I guess. And so they had this young white guy on there, early 30s. And they were asking him, well, how, do, how does your generation, 20s, 30s, you know, uh, how, do, how does your generation see this? And uh, his answer was so interesting to me. He was Christian, and he said, he said my generation of Christians, I, I kind of liken us to like the show Friends. Like we're sitting around a coffee shop talking about reaching people and ministry and doing nothing about it and think we're doing it. <laughs> right? He said it, not me. You know, he said it, not me. But I thought about that, and I thought, you know, in our Christian life, If we're only hanging out with our Christian friends, or we have no Christian friends, if we're only hanging out with our Christian friends or we have no Christian friends, we're probably a lot more isolated than we think we are. If if we're waiting for the church to set up everything we do that's somewhat helping people, we're probably a lot more isolated than we think we are. If we find ourselves saying, why doesn't somebody do something about this? Or why doesn't the, the church do something about this? We're probably a lot more isolated than we think we are because it's so easy for us, and this is where American culture is just killing us, it's so easy for us to be absorbed in our own world. And here's God telling us there is a profound vanity, emptiness, meaninglessness in being isolated. And friend, we all know that's dangerous, isn't it? I mean, left to our own devices, 
Sometimes I tell you guys, I don't trust me as far as I can throw me. And sometimes some of you guys go, oh, come on, don't be so hard on yourself. I'm not trying to say I don't. Because I know if I was isolated, if I didn't have others in my life, I'd be in a lot of trouble. Well, from the vanity of isolation, number two, we move to the value of community. The value of community. Uh, Verse 9, two are better than one. You're like, I understand that. There's a verse in the Bible I understand. But last time he said that one was better than two. Remember, he said one hand empty so God could fill it and you could help others. But it's just a writing technique. So two are better than one. Why? He tells us because they have a good reward or a good return for their labor. Then he gives us some illustrations from traveling in the Mideast. Now, Jesus came along a thousand years later, but a lot of the illustrations still work. Remember, he talked about the blind leading the blind into a ditch. Right? That's why I always tell you, sometimes people go, it doesn't matter, we're going to have it today when we go out and talk to people. They go, it doesn't matter where you go to church as long as you go to a church. That's not true. Our pulpits across America are filled with non-Christians. Filled with non-Christians. Some of you are like, you know, I, I, you've been here for a year and you're like, you know, I watched this guy on TV or I went to this church. The guy didn't even understand the basics of the Bible. I'm like, I know. And like, and there was thousands of people there. I'm like, yeah, I know. It's the blind leading the blind. Jesus also talked, remember the Good Samaritan, about the dude getting mugged on the road. And so some of these illustrations we're going to see that he's using here from traveling in the Middle East. Solomon says, verse 10, for if they fall, because there'd be traps and holes all over the place, animal traps, if you can't see, they didn't have flashlights. I know it was hard. And their cell phones did not have those little lights that we use on them 3,000 years ago, okay? He says, for if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls. Why? for he has no one to help him up. Verse 11, again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? Now, some people want to say, see, there's God telling us it's okay to, you know, shack up with your girlfriend and uh, no, no problem with that. No, 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 this is, this is Middle East traveling. I know it's hard to believe. They didn't have multiple cars in their families. They didn't have any. So they didn't have sleeping bags. You know, nobody was leaving a light on for them at Motel 6 half the time and stuff like that, okay? So what did they do? They had a cloak when they traveled, and their cloak was their jacket, and it was their blanket. And so when guys would go traveling on a business trip or something like that, they would get close to one another, and they would put their backs to one another, put their cloaks over them, and they would sleep close, and they would exist on body heat. Now, that's really hard for some of us as Americans. You know, like you go on a guy retreat and you, get, you go into the room and there's four guys and there's two beds and everybody's like, I got the floor, <laughs> right? No, like nobody wants to sit, sleep in the same bed with another guy, man. It's just, it's like, we just don't do that, right? You ladies are like, you don't, you're weird. We know, but we just don't do it, all right? So I'll tell you another story. Five, six years back, I was visiting another country. I was speaking at a church in another country uh, called Kearney. And so when I was... <laughs> When I was there, this dude, right, comes up. Well, I didn't know it was a dude at first. I'll tell you what my clue was in a second. Grabs me from behind, pulls me backward, and plants a wet kiss on my cheek. Now, it was the whiskers that gave it away that it was a dude. So, so I'm looking around like, I'm the speaker, man, and some dude just kissed me. And I'm looking around to see if anybody saw me. So I go to one of the pastors, and I go, um, some dude in your church just kissed me, man. And he goes, Ah, it's probably Gino, right? He's Italian. That's what they do. I was like, oh, good, right? I felt felt a lot better. It wasn't part of the Q&A after my discussion. But uh, see, but there's just cultural things, all right? Verse 12, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. 
then he gives us the conclusion, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, some of you have had this read at your wedding, that two are better than one, the threefold cord, and, you know, your wedding, you think, okay, you know, the two are better than one, the husband and wife, and the threefold cord, or, you know, you put God in the picture, now God's in it, or maybe some people say it's your kids. Um, that's not what it means. Sorry. It's okay. Some of you are like, he did my wedding, and we had that reading. Oh, no, he hates me. It's all right. It's not what 1 Corinthians 13 means anyway either. So we remember we, we did that when we did 1 Corinthians 13. I'm fine with it. It's not wrong. What's he doing here? He's using a teaching technique of wisdom literature, a one, two, three technique. He's taking you to see that you have one, but something as better is two, and something as better is three. And so they're picturing a rope. One cord, some strength. Two, stronger. Three, very, very strong. Now, if you recall in our studies here in Ecclesiastes, the audience is presumably young men who are emerging leaders, and the lesson is clear. You get more done with a team than you will ever get done by yourself. You'll have a good return on your investment of time and money and effort. And he says, if they fall, and friends, let me tell you something. If you're going to get out there with the gospel, I'm not talking about just doing nice things for people, but if you're going to get out there and tell people that apart from Jesus Christ, they will not go to heaven, you cannot believe the traps that await you. You cannot believe the ditches people want to, want to throw you in. And what is he telling us here? Friends need to lift up friends. So here's two big questions. Number one, who are you lifting up? Who are you lifting up? And number two, who lifts you up? Do you know, most Christians in my experience have to say that I can't answer both those questions because most of us are one or the other. Most of us find ourselves in the position of lifting people up but not having people who lift us up or having people who lift us up, but we're not engaged in lifting others up. I've noticed this in my Christian walk for 27 years now is that high-impact Christians have both. They have people that they lift up and they have people that lift them up. Now, before you say, oh, now I'm feeling really guilty. I don't know why I should have just went to the park or something like that. It's so important to see that our biggest failures in the Christian life are often the key to the biggest opportunities. See, being part of a ministry team is so important in the Christian life. I'm not talking about, oh, I'm, a, I'm on the, this group of people that are serving together. I'm talking about people with a common goal that are working together for a common goal, which means that you have to be thankful for the role that God has given you. Now, it may change, but we need to be thankful for the role as given. I hate when people say stuff like, well, I'm just the guy in the parking lot. You, you know, you're the first guy somebody sees. There are people who probably just come in and leave, and they go, oh, sorry, wrong church, right? Or other people go, you know what? Hey, these guys, they're nice guys, man. These people are serious. They care. They're, uh, this seems like a decent place to go to. Now, let's get practical, okay, very practical, if you're a guest here today, I, please don't think, well, this is just some pastor who knows, doesn't know what he's talking about. 31 years in my own company. 31 years in my own company. Okay? Most of my larger customers in the, in the two previous businesses that I sold and the one I have now, but the two, two previous ones, um, large Fortune 500 companies, very large companies. 
If you want promotions at work, if you want ministry opportunities, you must be seen as a team player. And it's actually becoming more now that than it ever was before. You have to be seen as a team player, not someone who's hard to deal with. Not someone who's always, not, sometimes we do, but not someone who's always marching to a beat of a different drummer. Sometimes we do. But someone who's always marching to the beat of a different drummer is what? Out of tune, right? <laughs> They're out of tune. It's so important that we're willing to fall in a hole with others. And sometimes we're willing to have to be willing to take the fall ourselves. It's so important that we're not blanket stealers. It's so important that we have the backs of others. Why? Well, as a Christian, do you realize that Jesus Christ went into the hole of the grave for you? Do you realize that Jesus Christ covered your sins? Do you realize that Jesus Christ protected you from the judgment of God? And even Jesus Christ had to follow God's plan. When we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13 a couple years ago, we said that God designed the church to bring together a new people, a people called after his name, people with different gifts and different ministries working together for the kingdom of God. I would encourage you for your homework to read the first six chapters of the book of Acts. The early church was not built on the backs of a bunch of independents. They had independents. They had people with their own agenda, but those people did not build the church. The church, early church was not built on people's backs who were doing their own thing, and it was not built on a bunch of people waiting for the apostles to do everything. It was built on the gospel and the backs of men and women. We sit here today because of them. We're going to meet them in heaven. We don't know their names, most of them. By far, we don't know their names. And I hope we will cry when we meet them. And we will be so thankful when we meet them. Because if they had been about themselves, we would be going to hell. They were people who were converted to Christ. And then they were converted to the church. And then they were reaching out to the community of God's people and the community at large with the good news of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul told the Philippian church, 10 years old, they had started to drift from the gospel. And what is important, he said, Philippians 2.4, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Not condemning, soul-searching. Friend, when is the last time you, okay, looked out for the interest of others? I'm not talking about your, your husband or your wife or your kids or, or your boss because you have to. When is the last time you said to someone who maybe could not repay you in any way, how can I help? What can I do for you? What can I take off of your plate? You see, the problem with Americans, and we all have to realize that we look at the world, we look at the Bible through the eyeglasses of Americans. Remember we say all the time, we are Christians who happen to be Americans. We are not Americans who happen to be Christians. The problem with American thinking, the problem with prideful thinking, and I'm not talking about just loud and arrogant people. I'm talking, you can be really quiet and be full of pride. The problem with Americans and people full of pride is we're constantly complaining and critiquing the method and it's so easy to lose sight of the goal. 
We don't like the way, somebody had, in your job, how to pick the way you do it to get to the goal. Get on the team, stop complaining about the method. If you have a good, a good suggestion once in a while, that's okay, but be focused on the goal. And the idea here is that there is strength in numbers when the goal of the people is the same. Go around our church. We're constantly saying the goal of this church is helping people grow into committed followers of Jesus Christ. Our goal, and that comes from Colossians chapter one, our goal is that your walk with Jesus would permeate every area of your life. From the time you get up Monday morning until the time you go to bed Sunday night, that every part of your life is engaged in Christian mission. Every part of your life is engaged in walking with Jesus. Okay, so, so it's out on the playground with your kids. It's taking your kids to school. It's, it's talking with your neighbor. It's going to work. It's going on a business lunch. It's taking a friend out. Whatever it is that you are engaged in this, what will it look like? People together celebrating victories. People together facing sorrow. People living and loving and growing and caring for one another. People being equipped to help others with their problems. You're not doing your friends any favors when they're trying to walk with Jesus and you're giving them worldly wisdom to their problems. You're not helping. You're not helping. If you feel God has, has, has geared you in a place, if you have one of those personalities where everybody who talks to you just dumps the world on you, you need to get trained. You need to get trained. Stop giving people your opinions. And we're together, we are sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the value of community. As God calls together, remember in our Holy Spirit studies, God calls together a people and says, be about the mission. Be about the mission of telling people of my son. Well, from the vanity of isolation to value of community, we move to the voice of advice. Verse 13, better a poor and wise youth. Let's just stop right there, okay? Just think about that for a second. In the United States, we give almost no place to poor people, okay? The Bible, not so. The richest man in the world, not so. He says better to be poor and to be young and wise, look, than an old and foolish king, parentheses, rich, who will not be admonished no more. Some of your versions say, better to be a poor, wise youth than a king who no longer knows how to take advice. And then he tells us a story. He gives us an illustration. Sounds a lot like Joseph from the book of Genesis. Could be talking about his father, King David, because he didn't, it's not definitely not himself because he, he inherited the kingdom, or could be somebody he knows or seen in all of his travels. Verse 14 for he, talking about this wise youth, comes out of prison to be king, although he was born poor in his kingdom. So this is the rags to riches story. Verse 15, very tough to translate in Hebrew, um, but it doesn't affect the point. Verse 15, I saw all the living who walk under the sun. They were with the second youth. Now that could be the guy who became king or an additional guy, but it doesn't change the point. I saw all the living who walk under the sun. They were with the second youth who stands in his place. Verse 16, there was no end uh, of all the people over whom he was made king, yet those who come afterward will not rejoice in him. So what's going to happen? Famous fleeting, right? 
if you want to be a leader, you better get used to criticism. If you can't take criticism, you're not a leader, okay? You got to develop, if you, especially if you're going to lead in the church, soft heart, thick skin, because they're going to love you one day and they're going to hate you the next. Why? Because people are just like you and just like me, they're sinners and we're fickle and we change our mind all the time. And so we're going to, listen, you can't change it, right? So we might as well get used to it. Okay, and so what's the conclusion? Surely of this old king who would not be admonished, who now people don't care what he says anymore, surely also is vanity and grasping for the wind. So here King Solomon tells us that it's better to be poor, to have no power, and have a clue what's going on in the world than to be powerful, inflexible, isolated, and completely out of touch. Now, never compromising. We don't want to compromise, but we want to understand what's going on in the world. So what's the point here? I think his point to these young leaders is clear. The world is always changing, and if you want to be a leader, you got to be thick-skinned. you got to be teachable, and you got to be able to take advice. You have to, because if not, what are you? You're the old and foolish king who will be admonished no more. Now, here's a problem we have as the society and the church in America, and if if you're new to Christianity, which I know a lot of you are uh, in terms of walking with Jesus, what's happening now is the church is becoming more and more, the pace is unbelievable how biblically illiterate we are becoming. Some of you are like, Jim, you're explaining every word. I'm like, I know because people don't know the definitions of of the words. So we're becoming more biblically illiterate. And sadly, many older Christians who should be the teachers now, who used to be teachable themselves, are not teachable anymore. And the result of being unteachable is the older you get, you lose your ability to bring the word of God to bear on the times in which you live. So instead of trying to understand the issues of the day in light of the word of God, we can easily become byproducts of an outdated cultural Christianity. So here's the test. Here's the test. Who are your teachers? Who are your teachers? Who do you have in your life that's a little bit ahead of you? Maybe they're ahead of you in your career. Maybe they're ahead of you in the business world. Maybe they're ahead of you in, in being a mommy or, or being a grandparent or being a dad. Who are the people that you're looking to who have a solid Christian walk who can help you navigate these things? And here's the challenge. Who are your teachers who are 15 to 30 years older than you? Who are they? Now, I, in the last service, I say, well, in this one, if you're 90, I will exempt you from that. <laughs> but I won't exempt you from this. Who are your teachers who are 15 to 30 years younger than you? Who are the young people in your life that are teaching you what this culture is like? You know what I can't stand? I can't stand my cell phone. 
Every time it falls out, I go to pick it up and it falls and the battery and the pack all comes apart. I go, oh, please be broken. Please be broken. I can't stand the stupid thing. It rings all day. It texts all day. I can't stand the stupid thing. But I have to ask young people, what is it like to be married to a cell phone? I don't get that. I don't get that. What about people who are different than you? How many people do you know are you close friends with that are, that are different than you? Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us on today's edition of Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. Would you like to hear this message again? Simply log on to our website, www.changedbyloveradio.com. There you can listen to archive broadcasts, load our mobile app, as well as listen to Pastor Jim's easy-to-follow verse-by-verse teaching on much of the Bible. You can also request a CD copy of this message in its original, unedited form on our website. If you would prefer to write to us, our address is Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. That's Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Or you can give us a call at 973-659-3380. Once again, that's 973-659-3380. Changed by Love is sponsored by listeners like you. We are so thankful for your continued support and prayers that allow us to bring our show to you on this station. Make sure you tell your friends and family about Changed by Love on this station, as well as how to listen to Pastor Jim on our website and mobile app. In the next edition of Changed by Love, Pastor Jim will continue teaching through the book of Ecclesiastes. Glance at the clock right now, and please make plans to join us next time to be encouraged, comforted, and challenged by the Word of God. You are all a blessing to us. We hope to see you next time here on Changed by Love.